with true AI and, and machine learning, you start to really unlock different opportunities. For one, the, the speed. So now instead of having a group of humans that are spending day in, day out doing the analytics and then ultimately making the planogram drawings, a computer can do that, that type of work. It's historically taken weeks and they can turn that into, into minutes. But the problem is because it was always so time consuming in the past, you really had no way to do those what if scenarios. So you basically kind of had to just go with what you thought was going to be the best. But with AI, because of that speed, and again, what used to take weeks or months, if you can bring that down to minutes, now suddenly you've unlocked all this potential where you can be like, okay, uh, let me just see what would happen. Let me change some settings here. Well, hello there, this is Milena, and welcome to another episode of Retail Mavericks Podcast. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hivery. Hivery is the pioneer in hyperlocal retailing. By combining artificial intelligence, operations research, and human-centered design models, Hivery Solutions helps CPGs and retailers generate a return on physical retail space investment. And today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Jeff Ireland, analytical consultant at Hivery. Jeff came to Hivery from Coca-Cola category strategy and analytics team. Now he works closely with Hivery customers, collaborating, partnering with them, providing training and guidance to ensure they become successful in using Hivery applications. And in his free time, Jeff creates software applications. So, without any further ado, we'll dive right in and Jeff will draw on his 18-year track record in category management to discuss challenges faced in today's category management approach and methods. Yeah, I mean, I think the traditional category management approaches haven't changed a lot in a few decades. It's been fairly stagnant. And I think the biggest problem traditionally has just been how tedious and manual it's been to, to generate the assortments required and then to ultimately draw the planograms. So if you think about what it takes to execute a planogram reset at a store, and a lot of these big retailers in major categories might do a product reset maybe once or twice a year. And the reason they typically only do it that infrequently is because of the amount of effort that it takes. And so what has to happen is you essentially have to determine which items should go into which stores, and then ultimately draw a schematic that can be passed down to the store level for them to, to execute, to know how to set it and, and know where to put the items. To do all that takes a tremendous amount of work. On the assortment side, to figure out which items go into which stores, uh, there's just a ton of uh, analytics that go into that. I would say there's a lot of variability maybe in, into how different companies might try to approach the problem. But if we go back to the amount of time it takes to actually draw the planograms themselves, if you've got a retailer such as, say, a Walmart that has 4,700 stores or 600 stores, whatever the number is now, if you're trying to do that by hand uh, using this, you know, the space planning software that's out there, it just is incredibly time consuming. And so out of necessity, the way that that's kind of been handled is instead of every store getting their own planogram drawing, 
it's really been a necessity to group stores together and clustering stores together so that instead of having 4,600 individual planogram drawings, maybe it's 15, maybe it's 75, maybe it's 300, depending upon the category and how many they, they want to draw. But you're also having to cut a lot of corners and make sacrifices in optimal solutions when you're doing that. And so I think that's one of the biggest opportunities that's existed for a long time is how do you, how can you be more targeted and tailor the assortments to individual stores? Being able to do that in a way that's not going to make your employees die from staying up all night, working weekends and, and everything else that's actually gets to be kind of common in the uh, category management world. So that's a big part of it. On the assortment side as well, there are different limitations to how things are done as well when you're doing the clustering that I was talking about, because now you're, you're talking about, all right, if you have to take a group of 300 stores and you have to give them the exact same assortment because you're only going to draw so many planograms, well, now that means you're going to be having to go off of averages. Across these 300 stores, maybe the average performance of these items is the best for that group of stores. But you're going to have you know, some stores where a given item maybe would be a really poor performer and another, another item that would have really performed well in a store doesn't make it in. I think uh, the biggest thing to me is clustering approach, which leaves a lot, lot of opportunity on the table. The other thing I, I think about is how clusters are even derived. So typically what's done is you're generating assortment is you're trying to think about, okay, if I can only... If I have to group stores and I'm forced to do that, then I need to try to get the best assortment I can do. I can have for those stores caters to a certain demographic, for example, hypothesis that it performs well with um, Hispanic population, for example. Well, then in that case, you're going to you're, you're going to say, all right, well, let me try to find a, a group of stores that maybe have a high percentage of Hispanic shoppers and let's make that a cluster. And now we'll put that item in that store or in those those groups of stores. And that does okay. But again, what you're not accounting for is the fact that there may be other stores that would also sell that same item very well that you're missing out on. And there may be some of those stores that you that you end up thinking it would sell well in and it really doesn't for whatever reason. I think the if I was just kind of resummarize or restate, I think a lot of it comes back to just the very tedious and manual process that it takes to generate these assortments, to generate these planograms where it's taking months in most cases to do this. And so as a result, you have to really end up cutting corners and not do things as optimally as you could. Jeff, how will technologies like artificial intelligence and let's use hybrid solutions as an example, solve the pain points you have just outlined? What are the benefits retailers can expect to see? probably the biggest way that it's changing the game is with just the power of computing. It's been humans that have been doing this process, right? So companies that are trying to tackle this problem and, and add some automation, but even then a lot of that's been very, very scripted and still not fully optimal, I guess I would say. With true AI and, and machine learning, you start to really unlock different opportunities. For one, the, the speed. So now instead of having a group of humans that are spending day in, day out doing the analytics and then ultimately making the planogram drawings, a computer can do that, that type of work. It's historically taken weeks and they can turn that into, into minutes. 
parallel computing and, and all that kind of thing. So that's probably the number one that I see is just how much faster a computer is than a human in pretty much anything. And that definitely applies in this space. With that speed, it also opens up other doors. For example, you may have uh, maybe working with your merchant at a retailer, you may discuss different types of strategies coming in for the next year. Maybe there's some new items that are on the forefront that the merchant wants to lean in on, or they want to try to figure out ways to improve their in-stock situation. So maybe they're interested in, well, what, you know, what if we change how much days of supply we carry on the shelf? Or what if we change minimum case pack quantities? There's a, a variety of different things that they might be thinking about. But the problem is because it was always so time consuming in the past, you really had no way to do those what if scenarios. So you basically kind of had to just go with what you thought was going to be the best. But with AI, because of that speed, and again, what used to take weeks or months, if you can bring that down to minutes, now suddenly you've unlocked all this potential where you can be like, okay, uh, let me just see what would happen. Let me change some settings here. Okay, if we changed our days of supply threshold from two days of supply to three, what does that look like? How does that impact our planograms? What is the, what is the projected sales impact of that? Let's click run and let's have the AI go through that and generate an output and tell us what the impact would be. And so I think that's where a lot of the power comes from as well is just as a result of that speed, now suddenly you can start to do these, these what if scenarios that just weren't possible before, which then allows you to iterate and ultimately test many different types of business strategies and then ultimately compare those and then decide, okay, based on the trade-offs and what you're seeing in the data, which one you ultimately go with. So whereas in the past you had to sort of just maybe go with, with one and then see what happens. Now you can go through and, and test a variety of scenarios before you actually put it in, into the stores. Would you say there is a shift in how category managers think about assortment planning today? And if so, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, we talked about before the downfalls or limitations of the clustering approach. The historical way to do that, like I mentioned, was trying to find commonalities among stores and similar demographics and then create clusters around those so that you would generate or provide an assortment that you think would be suitable for that particular group of stores based on those common traits. What we're seeing now is with kind of the advancements of particularly machine learning and some of the advanced you know, mathematical models that are out there, it really now creates sort of a paradigm shift in the way that category managers need to think about these solutions to these problems. Because now what we can do is let the computers go through and using these sophisticated models, essentially just using pure mathematical relationships, they're looking across huge amounts of data sets to identify patterns among products and stores Simply by identifying those patterns and using math, they're able to then best predict which items are going to sell the best in which stores. That's a fundamental shift in the way things have been done historically. And yes, in a, in a lot of cases, the AI models might suggest to bring in a particular assortment into a group of stores that does have some commonalities where you, you could draw conclusions and say, okay, yeah, look at these stores. There are similarities. Using the example I drawn before about 
stores that have maybe a high Hispanic shopper base. Yeah, there might be some correlations there and, and there may be some causal factors related to demographics that do make it so that a certain assortments uh, sell the best in a given uh, group of stores. But at the end of the day, for what we're doing in, in generating assortments, it really doesn't matter what those causal factors are. So we don't really need to even get hung up on that. I mean, it's it may be interesting to know for other reasons, but in terms of just creating the best assortment, just let the math do it. Let these advanced mathematical models figure out purely based on sales patterns in the data, which items are going to sell best in which store. So that's a, I think, a key difference of what we're now seeing today versus historical approaches. And when that gets newly introduced to some category managers, it's, it takes a little bit to, to wrap their heads around that because it is such a, a paradigm and shift in, in thinking. And the other thing I was thinking about, you've got the assortment side of it, and then you have the space or the, the actual drawing of the planograms. And, and those two components historically have been done independent of each other. So the traditional approach would be you do whatever kind of analytics you're going to do to come up with an assortment. And then you maybe pass that on to then your either your human drawers that are going to create the planograms for that, or in some cases, uh, some kind of a software application that's then going to take that assortment, feed it into that that application to draw the planograms. But there's there's some inherent problems with that um, because when the assortment and the space part are separate, they're not talking to each other. And so it may be that the assortment doesn't realize that there's actually a little bit more space here and I could actually put it in some more product or, or maybe vice versa. With the hybrid solution, they actually are interconnected. We call it like a space-aware assortment where the when generating the assortment, it knows how much space it has to work with. And so it can do different iterations based on that, adjust the assortment accordingly. Current planogram that's fed into the system, maybe it had opportunity to, to grow assortment in the past, but everything is just kind of held consistent and, and the number of items in a given store stayed the same. But now suddenly because they're, you know, the assortment is aware of the amount of space that it has, it has the freedom to to adjust as needed. So in some cases, maybe it needs to um, add an additional assortment or has that opportunity to add additional items. Or on the flip side, maybe it realizes what we're really constrained on space here and the days of supply is, is just too low. Therefore, we actually need to reduce the amount of assortment that was there previously. That's also a pretty significant change in it and I think an improvement over traditional approaches. Jeff, what types of retailers will benefit from using solutions like this? Are there any who actually won't see any benefits? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I can't really think of many retailers that couldn't necessarily benefit from the solution because at the end of the day, we, we need their historical sales data, attribution data on, on items in stores in order, that are relevant to the rules that they want to create. Yeah, for the most part, any any retailer that's, that can at least provide us the minimum data sets would be viable for this type of solution. I think any category where you have a reasonable high skew count particularly benefits. So yeah, perhaps if you're in a space where the number of items in the category is quite small, the, the opportunity wouldn't be as big there because the amount of work that it takes to generate assortments and draw those planograms is far less. A category with 
very few items, then it's probably not going to be a, a huge benefit to you. And, that, and as the number of items increases in a category or even across categories, then the opportunity increases correspondingly. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the most common constraints or rules often faced by CPGs and retailers? As I both worked in category management myself and as I'm working with our clients at Hyvery, you start to see some recurring themes on these, these different types of business rules. I guess bucket them into two categories. One would be like on the merchandising rules and then the other one say would be in more assortment based rules. But some examples could be like on the on the merchandising side. When I was at Coca-Cola, it was things like, okay, if you have a, a big 24 pack of soda, you're not going to want those up on the top shelf. Right? It's, a, it's sort of a liability issue. You don't want those come crashing down on somebody's head or those kind of things. And so it's uh, going to be typically a lot more wise to have those down on the bottom. Just a, a simple Simple example, but it's things like that of where there are specific, yeah, specific reasons where a product might be need to be merchandised, maybe at a certain certain height. Along with that, it's things like product orientation. Even conceivably, you have different different orientations of how that could go on a shelf, but there may be a reason that one orientation might be preferred. Maybe it's because it gives it more shelf presence, or maybe the the packaging graphics are more conducive to have it a certain way. You might have a reason where you want to limit the amount of of change within a planogram in terms of the amount of movement of products. You've got one product today that's on the far right of the planogram. Maybe you don't want to throw that all the way to the left. You want to keep it in the close proximity to where it was before from an operational efficiency standpoint of, of the people that are actually going to be implementing the changes that you're passing down. So those are, you know, some examples within merchandising rules. When you get into assortment type rules, those become interesting. And there's, there's lots of different types of rules that seen when I was at Coca-Cola working with Hybrid. And now that I'm on the Hybrid side, seeing the various requests that, that we have, but it might be things like when you're coming to this relay, the, the merchant may have a set of items that didn't perform well and just want wants to get rid of them, you know, be global deletes across the entire retail chain. So we call that like a force out rule. So those specific items need to be out. They can't go in. Maybe there's some new items that the merchant says, hey, we need to have these go into the stores. Or it might be, we need to have these items in a minimum number of stores. So that could be a separate rule where you have like a minimum store count threshold. Minimizing the space change or the merchandising location, you could have things like minimizing assortment churn. When you turn on the AI, one of the cool things is that it can basically start you over in a way where you can say, okay, here, here was my assortment in a store today, but now you tell me the optimal assortment. Well, it might be that the AI, when it can run wide open and, and really go crazy, it might say, hey, you know what? Most of that assortment's wrong. Maybe you need to get rid of 50% of the, of the items and put a different 50% in there. But that may be a little bit more to extreme for a change. So we can dial that down and we can say, all right, well, let's only allow 25% assortment churn or 20 or 15 or whatever our clients feel comfortable with. Going back to my Coca-Cola days, availability, working with bottlers, 
certain items may be only available in certain regions or certain stores. And so we don't want to generate assortments that are going to say, let's put this, this item we think would be really well in this store. So let's put it there. We don't want to do that if, <laughs> if it's not going to be possible. So if a bottler is not going to be able to supply that item, we want to make sure we avoid that. So that's a type of rule as well. And then it could just be little things like maybe there's a preference to say, I want a minimum amount of presence on the shelf. So for a given item, never do less than two facings of that particular item. Or I want a minimum days of supply threshold is a very common one. So the, typically in given categories, they're going to have sort of a target days of supply. And so we can set a rule for what that target should be. And even, as I said before, do what if scenarios on changing that, that days of supply threshold to see what does that do to your potential revenue as you change those days of supply thresholds. So yeah, there's just a large, large variety of different types of rules. And as we've worked with, worked with clients, we've been able to incorporate a lot of those rules into our solution. And in fact, sometimes it gets even creative where we're combining multiple rules together and, and doing some pretty creative things to, to ultimately be able to solve for the, the specific needs of our customer or, or the retailer. So to summarize all of this, can you perhaps list top five most common constraints and rules? It is kind of hard to say because I think it varies also from category to category. So I can more easily speak to carbonated soft drinks because that's the category that I'm most familiar with. But yeah, I think force in, force outs, like your global deletes, new items, those are going to be very common ones along with that. Oftentimes the merchant might have some agreements with their suppliers on certain items where they want to allow only, or they want to make sure that an item makes it into a minimum number of stores. So that's another one that I've seen a lot. That's very common as well. On the merchandising rules, the product orientations is also a big one that pretty much in every case I've seen, there's going to be some level of probably preference on, at least on certain items to maybe have specific orientations or certain shelf positions. Jeff, earlier you spoke about AI being able to challenge those rules. Can you dive a little bit deeper into those kinds of examples? It is one of the benefits of the AI is doing the doing the scenario iteration. The thing you can do is it's that's really kind of cool is that you can, as you said, kind of challenge assumptions. So you might have a business strategy going in that you think, you know what, if I maybe changing my days of supply threshold, I think I can keep better in stock, which may be true, but it also is going to dramatically impact your available assortment. Say you raise your minimum days of supply from two to three. Well, now suddenly you've got items that are taking up a lot more space on the shelf and you're losing assortment. And so you can start to see some trade-offs when you're able to generate these different assortment scenarios and see what happens to your projected sales volume. Another one that I've seen is where the merchant might be in negotiating with their CPG partner. They might have some ideas about, okay, well, I feel like I want to maybe delete a large portion of a given brand or maybe remove a brand completely from the assortment set. And there's would be some assumptions around that, right? Based on, based on a decision like that. Well, with the AI and the, the speed by which we can run those scenarios, we can show what will happen. If we remove this set of items, or this entire brand from the set, 
what's going to happen to your projected sales volume? Where do those sales go? Can you make that up elsewhere with addition, with some different items? And so that becomes very interesting as well because you can start to maybe see, okay, well, if we deleted these three items, maybe it doesn't make much difference to the category because we make that up somewhere else. But maybe you delete item four, five, and six, and suddenly that creates a pretty big dent in your category of performance. As the merchant in that, in that case, that becomes pretty powerful because now as you're working with your CPG partners, you can start to understand what are the implications if I make certain decisions about removing certain items from the set. So Jeff, can you tell us why going store specific is better than a cluster approach? Could you perhaps provide an example of an industry leader who's gone store specific and maybe even share what results they've seen? No two stores are the same. So that stands to reason that no two stores would necessarily sell exactly the same and therefore shouldn't have the exact same assortment. But given the things that we talked about previously, because of the manual effort involved, it's, it typically hasn't been possible to, to generate assortments or to draw the planograms at the store-specific level. And some of the downfalls to that, which some of this was already touched on, but it's the fact that you're having to do the analytics based off of averages. And that really means that it's going to hurt some stores. An example I saw in doing some analysis recently was, was just looking at, at days of supply, for example. So if you draw a planogram for a cluster of stores, you're going to give items certain number of facings. So let's say in, in a given planogram, you have five facings of, of a particular item. It might be that in one store in that cluster, they only needed one. And in another store, they needed 15 because they have different sales rates. Yeah, on average across them, you might get to your three days of supply target or whatever that, that target is. But in store A, they may have 10 days of supply and then this other store sells out in half a day. From that standpoint, just from a inventory management standpoint and trying to keep things in stock, that's a real problem with clustering even on the assortment side itself. I think I talked about that a little bit before, but if you can't go store specific, that means you're making sacrifices on the assortment because you're generating an assortment based on averages. So on average, these items will do the best in this cluster, but you may have certain stores in that cluster that are much more unique. You're missing out on opportunities where you might have certain niche items that would have sold really, really well in those stores and now they're not getting it and vice versa. Items that maybe you're not going to perform well in a given store, but on average, they perform okay. So when you can go to store specific, now you unlock your full potential because now you can uniquely tailor this assortment to each given store based on what that store is going to sell the best and also put in the right, right amount of facings in that store so that it can also be in stock the best. It's interesting when... When you look at it, and that's one of the things that we can also do with our scenario iterations that we've talked about, is that we can even compare, well, what happens if you generate this assortment or generate assortments and draw your planograms based on clusters versus if you left everything the same, and I say leave everything the same, meaning like all your merchandising rules and your assortment rules, leave all that the same, but now instead of 
forcing it to group things into clusters based on those averages. Now just let it tailor the assortments specific to the store, and then we can measure those differences. And those different differences can be quite significant. And it depends on, first of all, the number of clusters today. Stands to reason, I mean, we've seen work with clients where maybe they've had six or seven clusters in their whole store chain. With that much aggregation, there's going to be a ton of opportunity, even if you go to more clusters, which is another interesting thing that we can help with. What if you went from six to 12 or 20 or 50 or 100? You can start to see the benefits because it's like a pendulum that it just, as you you, you move that dial, it's going to get more and more. And by running those scenarios, you can basically measure that, that difference. Maybe they already have a certain number of stores that are store specific and they might have a mix of store specific and, and clusters and we can still, you know, show them, all right, what's the opportunity there? So it depends on where they are on that spectrum, but certainly if they're very highly clustered today, that's going to offer the most opportunity. And the other interesting thing that we, that we can show that we've uh, done our analytics is, is even be able to say, okay, well, Maybe you're a little hesitant to go right now from your clustered approach, jumping all the way to store specific, but we can even show which stores would benefit the most. So it might be something like, you know what, if you could, if you could go store specific in 30% of your stores, you could get 80% of the revenue opportunity. We've seen things like that. So. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to, to simulate that and, and to be able to show what, what it means to either increase the number of clusters that you currently have today or ideally go all the way to source specific. So customers that have implemented Hybrid Curate into their operations, has the cadence on which they update their planograms changed? So I would say today it's it's still probably on the same cadence as what the what the retailer has been traditionally doing. But kind of to your point earlier or your question earlier about how fast is this technology going to, to take off? Along that same vein, I think as this becomes more prevalent, as it becomes a little more mainstream, I definitely foresee a time when when the number of relays could increase or those number of resets could increase and potentially you know it could get to the, get to the point where you could almost just do like almost ongoing resets or mini relays kind of along the way because as you take the manual effort out of it you could almost like just kind of continually be tweaking the assortment as you go along and so i mean i don't know at what point that becomes too micro but certainly you could you could change the frequency and, and start going from one to two resets per year to three or four or six, plugging things in and out. I guess at that point it, it just becomes more of a less about the the analytical work and, and maybe more of an operational question at that point. Jeff, thank you for taking the time to answer all of my questions. Before letting you go, I would like to ask you one last question. What do you wish people would ask you more often? The question that I wish they'd ask is, how do I get started with Hybrid? And what's the, what's the first step? 
for listening until the end of this episode. If you want to learn more about hybrid solutions and particularly how AI can benefit your business or stores, you can now request a demo by navigating to hybrid.com forward slash product forward slash curate. One of the team members will give you a walkthrough and answer any of your questions. And until the next time, everyone.